Il presidente. Ma cos'è la sinistra? Hello and welcome to Take a Left, a podcast from the Socialists and Democrats in the European Parliament. I'm Alex White and today we're talking about women's rights. This is the first episode, so welcome to your new favorite podcast. The idea is to look at the challenges facing Europe, the world, particularly the emerging generation, and see what answers the left has to give. We're based in the European Parliament, and we're going to go behind the scenes of the political battles that take place here. For our first episode, we're looking at an issue, a set of freedoms and rights that in many countries have been hard won, and in others are still far off. We're talking about sexual health and reproductive rights. These are women and men, mostly women, in Warsaw protesting for the right to decide over their own bodies. Last autumn, the Polish Conservative government used the pandemic to introduce an almost total ban on abortion. Thousands of brave Polish women took to the streets to protest. For years, we, the Socialists and Democrats, have been pushing to get the EU to take a strong stance, to make it clear to everyone that women's rights are human rights. Just before the summer, the European Parliament voted in favour of a resolution on sexual health and reproductive rights, calling on member states to ensure access to modern contraception, good sexuality education and legal and safe abortion. And we haven't passed just any resolution, we have passed a resolution which is particularly progressive. 378 of 675 members of the European Parliament voted in favour of calling on all EU governments to decriminalise abortion and introduce reliable sexual education in all primary and secondary schools. This is something that not only the Polish, but also the Hungarian government does not want to hear. How do we get this through in a parliament of various political views? We're talking with Fred Matic, an MEP from the Croatian Social Democrat Party, the rapporteur for the resolution. Later on, we'll speak with Camille Boutin, advocacy advisor at the International Planned Parenthood Federation. My Polish colleague, Inga Czerny, has been following this subject particularly closely. She spoke with Mr. Fred Matic inside the European Parliament. Indeed, it was a very progressive report and we are going to be looking at what happened, all the political infighting and drama along the way to adopt the so-called Matic report. Mr. Matic, thank you for being with us today. What is so important about your report? The most important message is to women, to tell them that they are not alone. Women in Poland, women in Malta, in my own Croatia or in Slovenia, they should know that they are not alone and that the European institutions are with them. Although this report is not legally binding, it is not a legislative act, it still shows the European perspective, the point of view of Europe on this issue. And I'm very proud that this resolution has been carried. It's been a long and difficult journey for you. The anti-choice and the anti-gender lobby is very strong and they conducted an aggressive campaign against your report, which included sending plastic models of fetuses to members of the European Parliament. But you resisted such pressure, as you said in the plenary. Let's listen. And our first speaker is the rapporteur, Mr. Matic. We received hundreds of mails, messages and letters. They even sent me some bizarre dolls. They called me Hitler and those are the same people that talk a lot about goodness, peace, love and mercy. I am a war veteran and spent nine months in three concentration and death camps. My dears, you have not impressed me at all and you have not intimidated me. Quite the contrary. We don't have many members of the European Parliament who are soldiers. 
You fought in the Croatian War of Independence. You were a prisoner of war. You were even tortured. How did you end up fighting for women's rights? All my life I have been raised that way by my family, and I guess I am that way. I'm always on the side of the weaker. That's why I took part in the war. My country was weaker and was attacked by the aggressor. I don't go to church, but I follow this teaching, all people are equal to God. Unfortunately, this is not the case at present. For me, black, white people, any religion, any nationality are all equal, especially when talking about men and women. I have only now seen fully what the differences are, in what aspects women are not equal in their rights in our society. Is there any link between your past in the military and, you know, the women's cause, the fight for women's rights? During my time as Minister of War Veterans in my country, I passed the law on victims of sexual abuse in wartime. This is a unique law in Europe and in the world. I hope and believe that the experience from this law will be taken into account by other countries in their post-conflict period. Mm -hmm. And what's the situation in Croatia regarding women's rights and the sexual and reproductive rights? In Croatia, there has been a law on abortion since the late 1970s. However, the Constitutional Court and the current ruling circles in Croatia are trying hard to pass this second new law, and the Constitutional Court issued an obligation to pass this law. It is very important for the listeners to know, unfortunately, the Croatian Constitutional Court is under the influence of the ruling party. The ruling party are beating around the bush and don't want to pass such a law. Our Prime Minister, let's say, when he comes here to Brussels, then he is always with the most progressive countries. Yet, when he comes back home, then his best friends are Hungary, Poland, Slovenia. On many occasions you underline that, contrary to what the far right says, you are not advocating abortion, but you want every woman to have the right to choose. Still, as you said in the plenary, the anti-choice and anti-gender organization have spread no effort to, to prevent the adoption of your report. They called you a baby killer. They even sent you a plastic fetus. Were you shocked? No, I got used to it. Unfortunately, I was in the war. I was in concentration camps, so I got used to these unhappy things and the pressure. So it just makes me sad. Of course, when they found out about this resolution, the whole right part of the political spectrum was outraged. The bishops were outraged. The Catholic Church was outraged. However, I tried to explain to people, I don't think that there is a tougher decision that a woman has to make than to have an abortion. Abortion is a difficult choice, probably the most difficult choice possible for a woman. But at the end of the day, it was our motto throughout the entire process of drafting this resolution. It must remain a choice. We have tried to show and prove to these people in scientific terms that the numbers of abortions are equal in countries where abortion is allowed and where it is banned. The only difference is that in countries where it is banned, we have 23,000 dead women every year due to unprofessional abortions. Let's now talk about how the report went through. 378 in favor, 255 against, 42 abstentions, a great result. Were you surprised? 
Ne, to smo i očekivali. Dakle, jedino no, iznenađenje je expected. bilo što smo... The only surprise was that you could cut the tension with a knife. We knew that the European Conservatives and Reformist group would table a resolution of their own. But of course, it was a bit of a bad surprise to see the alternative resolution tabled by our colleagues from the Christian Democrats, the EPP. Uh, I see that Mr. Weber, the leader of the Christian Democrats, the EPP group, voted against. But 36 members of the EPP group voted in favor. Is that a lot? Uh, how did you manage to have them on board? Roughly 20% of the EPP voted in favor of the resolution. As I said, this was the percentage we needed to support us in plenary. You know, there are key moments. They have the majority in this parliament, and without them, it would have not been carried. It went according to the calculations we had. The entire left side of the parliament, plus the centrists, would have not been enough. We had to also have other progressive people on board, and I was firmly convinced we would have them and we had them that makes me very happy these 36 MEPs and I can say it freely, somehow brightened the image of the conservative spectrum in Europe. What I want to say now is that the SD is the carrier of progress in this parliament and I am proud to be an SD member. Are you going to continue a fight for women's rights? Let's say now I would try to do something about the accessibility of period products. For example, it would be great if in Europe period products are for free or, in the worst case scenario, they have a minimum tax rate. And I would be very happy if this is carried. Talking about equality, you know, I never thought about it before, but if me and a female colleague of mine, we have the same salary, me and her, she has to spend a certain amount of her salary for period products, a cost a man does not have to pay. And by this simple fact, the equal salary in question is not equal. So I would like to do something on this matter. So I say yes, period products in Europe should be for free, and if not, at least subject to minimum taxes. I saw um, that newspapers all over Europe reported on your resolution. Were you surprised by this sudden fame? The pressure, threats, blackmailing, insults we got were the most interesting to journalists. We had a lot of it. But this is negligible compared to the number of approving emails and messages. To give an example, I was in a plane with a colleague from the EPP. Three women approached me and told me, thank you, Mr. Matic. I don't know who came up to my EPP colleague on that flight. Actually, nobody did. And what remained the most memorable to me was an email from a French woman where she said, I don't like politicians and I never communicate with them. Yet, I had to write you regarding this resolution. It might be late for me, but I want to thank you for the sake of my daughter. I started in politics many years ago. I thought I was going to change the world. Over the years, I realized I would not change the world and no one can change it by themselves. Yet, with the adoption of this resolution, I'm absolutely sure I moved the world by a centimeter and my existence on this earth was worth it, at least for this, if for nothing else. Thank you so much. Inga and I are at the offices of the International Planned Parenthood Federation in Brussels, the world's main pro-choice organization. They followed the adoption of the Matic report from even before the beginning. We're speaking with Camille Buton, an advocacy advisor here. Camille, thanks for having us over. Thank you. 
Hello, Camille. What exactly do you advocate for? What does the IPPF fight for? The International Planned Parenthood Federation, uh, the European network, is one of the regional offices of a worldwide federation which defends and promotes uh, sexual and reproductive safety, care and freedom for all. And as an advocacy advisor, my role is to influence the EU policies, especially the policies that apply within the EU on gender equality, health, fundamental rights, to make sure that they are uh, in line and that, that they promote sexual and reproductive health and rights for all in the EU. Great. So nine years ago, women's rights activists and progressive politicians tried to pass a similar resolution, the so-called Estrella Report, for its author, Portuguese S&D MEP, uh, Edith Estrella. The report never passed. It was a different time. What's changed? I think, uh, very simply, the composition of the European Parliament has changed since the time where Edith Estrella tried to uh, pass this report. So I think now we have a Parliament that has a majority of progressive MEPs, very simply. And then what changed is also probably that progressive MEPs and the SIHR community are much more aware of the anti-gender, anti-choice movement which mobilized at the time against the report and which unfortunately managed to derail it. And so for this report, we were much more prepared and we mobilized much more in advance the different MEPs from different groups. And I think that's why we were successful. Mm-hmm. So you mean you, you learned from, from the defeat in 2013? Yes, we have analyzed their discourses, their tactics. We know how they operate. We know who they are. And if you could describe how do they work? They are increasingly organized, I think, in the EU, we can say that. They have now opened offices in the EU. Some of them come from the US, but have opened offices now in Europe. Uh, And they have been organizing over the past 10 years, I would say. And they are quite effective at launching disinformation campaigns, intimidation, uh, fear-mongering messages and... I think at the time they managed to get through to MEPs and to basically intimidate them into rejecting the report. One of our main messages is that they do not represent the majority of public opinion. They are actually in the minority, but they are just a very loud minority. Personally, I am wondering, have you ever had any exchange with advocacy, the advisor from the other side? Have you met your opponent? We don't talk to them directly often, uh, but we monitor what they're doing. We like sign up to their newsletter, etc. So we know how they talk and we have been, we have attended their events sometimes, not as IPPFEN, but as individuals going there to see how, how they frame their issues and what arguments they use. I don't, there is such a huge gap between the things we, we, how we think and how they think. Why they are so mobilized given that this report is not even binding? Does yeah. this report matter? Yeah, it's a good question. And actually, I think that the fact that they were so mobilized against it proves that it does in fact matter. Otherwise, it wouldn't have bothered them that much, I think. You're right to point out that it's not a binding report. It's not a legislative report, but it was never going to be. It was always clear from the beginning that this is a political report. The fact that the European Parliament is speaking out on sexual and reproductive health and rights is crucial at this time because we are in the middle of a worldwide pandemic that has posed a lot of that has increased inequalities and obstacles to access to care for a lot of people. And also because we are in the context of uh, backsliding on women's rights and sexual and reproductive rights, including in the EU. So this report is really a strong political signal. 
Is there any room for the European Commission to act? Yes, I think so. And um, in fact, Commissioner Helena Dali, uh, during her speech in the plenary debate, uh, really spoke out in favor of sexual reproductive health and rights. She affirmed that it's an integral part of health and she spoke out in favor of comprehensive sexuality education as being essential to promote equal gender norms and to prevent gender-based violence. And so we really think that this is key as well. And she also denounced the backsliding in, in several EU member states. But you also mentioned backsliding on women's rights in, say, Poland. Do you think things are getting better for women's rights generally in the EU or, or worse right now? It's a difficult question to answer. I think overall in the EU, I think the reason why there is backsliding now is because there has been a lot of progress as well. So we shouldn't ignore that fact. However, it is it is worrying that these coercive, regressive movements are increasingly organized and that we know that they are well-funded, including from uh, outside of the EU. We know that they are smart, that they strategize together, they work together across borders. So I don't want to exaggerate their influence either, but I do think that progressive movements need to be aware of the threat and really also coordinate between each other, cooperate, including across borders to really counter these, these threats and also continue to progress. You know, the, our objective is not only to make sure we don't go backwards, we actually want to go forward. And we're in the business of doing just that, going forwards, being progressive. We're trying to move Europe and the world by a centimetre and hopefully a lot more. In case you'd missed it so far, we're the progressive alliance of socialists and democrats in the European Parliament. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please click subscribe or follow so you don't miss the next episode. Take care.